As we get started, let me say I realize there are a lot of places you could be right now besides here. And I thank you for choosing to worship with us. I'm glad you're here. I hope you're glad you're here. Anybody glad they're here? All right. Um, we've been in a series talking about one another commandments where God has called us to interact with each other. And the terms we've talked about thus far are pretty basic and easy to understand, not really hard to explain, bearing with one another's burdens, bearing one another's burdens, forgiving each other, encouraging one another. Those are pretty easy. But the one we come today is probably the most difficult commands of the one another version that God gives it. God says, admonish one another. When you hear that, you think you really ought to say it in your King James voice, right? Thou shalt admonish one another, right? It kind of sounds like a high art kind of thing. Tough to explain, difficult to understand. In fact, I asked my uh, phone, I said, hey, Siri, what's admonition? She said, the act of admonition. A brilliant computer, right? But I come to understand more as I search through there. It was an act of counsel or warning. It's giving guidance or correction. It carries with it the idea that something isn't right and something needs to change. And we can see that in other people. I mean, no one started off this weekend, it's not a fun thing, no one started off this weekend thinking, man, I've got a lot of free time. I hope somebody stops by my house and admonishes me today, right? It's not something we look forward to. We don't use the word very much. The unknown and the unfamiliarness of not using the word, not really knowing the word very much, can bring with it the mistaken idea that it's negative and not positive. In fact, many churches don't talk about it. Many pastors don't talk about it because they're afraid to talk about it. It's not one of those fun one another topics. And so what we're going to do to help unpack this and understand it, I'm going to divide it. If you have your outline, I'm going to divide it into three different sections as we talk about understanding, admonishing one another. First section is, what is it? What is admonishment? Well, it isn't trying to put somebody in their place. It's not an attitude of going, I'm going to make certain they get what's coming to them and what they deserve. How many of you like to be corrected? Yeah, it's not fun to be corrected. And some of us don't like correcting others. There are those who do, however, like correcting other people, but they don't always do it in the right way, and they don't do it for the right reasons. Our goal isn't to tear people apart or rip people apart, but to build them up. There's a passage in Ephesians chapter 4. This isn't our main text, but the Apostle Paul speaking, 15th verse, he says, read this with me. Instead, speaking...
The whole concept there is truth and love. Sharing the truth in love with others is what God asks us to do. John Maxwell says there are three types of people when it comes to sharing the truth in love. First, you have the hiders. The hiders are the ones who don't share the truth at all. Then you have the hurlers. They share the truth, but not in love. And then you have the healers. The healers are those who share the truth in love. The word admonish appears eight different times in the New Testament. Forms of the word admonish appear over 60 different times in the New Testament. Meaning that God must think it's pretty important for us to address it. So in our text, Colossians chapter 3, again, Paul speaking to the Christian community. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, he shares this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, that's you, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on what? Love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. When you look at that, did you notice the attributes that Paul highlights? It's not those typical ones that our culture seems to think is important. There's no mention of power, wealth, charisma. Instead, he talks about things like compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And in verse 16, here comes our word. Colossians 3:16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. There it is. It says let the message of Christ dwell in you literally means let the message of Christ have its home inside of you. It says, admonish one another out of desire to correct, not out of the desire to correct or make a point, but out of the overflow of the gospel of Jesus who lives deeply inside of us. That's where it comes from. So when we admonish, we instruct, we warn others through the glory of God for the good of other people. There's wisdom when we give helpful information and we share something that someone, other, someone else needs. In other words, kind of placing it in their minds when they may have missed it. How many of you remember all the way back when you learned to drive? Right, it's been a long time for me, but I learned, my uncle was a driving instructor, and I learned under him. Talk about fun, right? And I remember teaching my kids to drive. That was a nightmare. Um, Daughter Bree was easy. My son Brent, you know, he knew it all already, right? But anyhow, one of the things that they taught us is most of the times you want to look where? You know, okay, how'd you get here, guys? You know, where'd you look? You want to look to the 
windshield. Good, good, good. Every once in a while, you want to check the rear view mirror, and then everyone's going to move on the highway, especially on the expressway. You want to check your side view mirrors. And when you look in your side view mirror, there's sometimes something that you miss. It's called a blind spot, right? In, in the truck I have, the blind spot is huge. I can look, and a car can be coming up beside me, and I don't have a clue that they're there. And so what helps is my passenger, who seems to love admonishing me when I drive, right? I think wives have a gift of doing that. But she'll say, look out, look out. And I agree, she saved me a lot of times. But they point out that passenger says, whoa, look out. Did you see that or didn't you see that? And they point out our blind spots. Admonishment does that. It usually appears with the word teaching whenever we see it in the New Testament. Colossians 1.28 says, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So when you're teaching, that's admonishment. It's a lesson to be learned. Wisdom given to others so that they can become more like Jesus. Huge. And by the way, every time you see the word admonishment, it appears with either truth, love, or wisdom. Truth, love, or wisdom. Proverbs 3.12 adds this. The Lord disciplines those he what? Loves. The Lord corrects, speaks truth. He helps point us in the direction we should go. And at times, we should do that for other believers, other family members. The Bible says, iron sharpens iron. And so there are moments where we are to hold each other accountable. We're to speak truth into each other's life. Sometimes those are hard things to say. Sometimes they're hard things to do. But if we care enough and love them enough, we'll share those things. It's a chance to reach out, lovingly voice our concern for someone else, motivated by the purest intentions of love. And if it's not, then don't open your mouth. Don't share it. Second section, how? How do we admonish? There's a cool story in the Bible that gives us a picture of how to do this. It's one you may not be very familiar with, it's in the New Testament book of Acts. Acts, again, gives us the history of the church. There's a talented preacher who's being mentored by John the Baptist. His name is Apollos. We read about it, Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 25. 24 and 25. Read, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with... with thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, this is huge. He just knew about John's teaching on baptism. 
The positive was he was a man who knew a whole lot about the whole Old Testament. He was an enthusiastic speaker, accurate teacher, bold presenter. presenter. He was talented, but he was uninformed in one area. He wasn't misinformed. He was just uninformed fully. He was passionate, but uninformed totally on the on that subject of baptism. The Bible says he was unaware of Christian baptism. He only knew of the baptism of John the Baptist. Those of you might remember, John the Baptist's work here on earth was temporary. He was preparing and paving the way for who? The Messiah. So whenever you watch today someone being baptized, they go down underneath the water totally. And it's a reenactment. It's kind of like a, a drama for you and I to watch of the reenactment of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's huge. That's what makes Christian baptism so important. It's not a sprinkling of dirt or a sprinkling of water. It's a total immersion representing Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Showing us that just as Jesus died, went in the grave, conquered the grave, came back to life, you and I have the blessed hope of doing the same for all eternity. And so, Apollos preaches a powerful message, but there's a little inaccuracy in it. It's incomplete. And there's a couple who are listening, like you all would be listening today, and their names are Aquila and Priscilla. They hear what he's saying, and so they have to make a decision. Are they going to call him out when he's speaking, say, whoa, 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 stop there. You know, that's not all of it, and humiliate him? No. Do they ignore it and say, well, at least he's passionate. Let it go. No. It really seems like he's telling most of the truth. As long as he's sincere, that's all that matters. No, they don't go there. They don't do any of those things because that's not admonishment. That would be called embarrassment, apathy, harassment, or humiliation. It's so easy to be critical today. And we have radio shows, TV shows that make millions of dollars just on people being critical because people love it. It's easy to take shots even at the church. It's easy to come in to worship and set yourself up as a judge when you're not really ready to worship. And so it's huge for you and I as we get in our cars on a Sunday morning and we're coming to this place to worship God that we begin to get our minds and our hearts set to worship before we enter into worship. Because if we don't do that, there's a chance that we walk in and we just evaluate everything that happens. And when you get back in the car and you're headed to lunch, you say, you know what? I didn't like that one story Jeff told. That was kind of way out there. Or that song, that song that Emily sang, man, it just went on and on and on. 
Oh, man, it was just too cold in there today. Too hot. Right? So easy to be critical. I think there are some people that have the spiritual gift of criticism. Really. Spiritual gift of being negative all the time because that's all that comes out. Dwight Moody, well-known preacher of years ago in the past, and he received a lot of criticism through his ministry, a lot of anonymous letters. He said one time somebody placed an envelope with his name on it on his desk. He opened it up, and there was one sheet of paper in there. He looked at the sheet of paper when he opened it up, and the one word, all capital letters across it, in dark print was the word, one word, fool, F-O-O-L, fool, and that was it. Dwight Moody said it was the only time he received a letter where the person forgot their, mes- or forgot their message and only signed their name. The only time I received a letter where the person forgot their message and only signed their name. I love that. Remember when you admonish, you're trying to build the person up. Let the re- listen to the rest of Acts 18, 26. So Apollos is preaching in Ephesus. Verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately. This is, this is a beautiful picture of what admonition is all about. Aquila and Priscilla take this brilliant, passionate preacher. They invite him to their house. In the course of conversation, they lovingly admonish him. They gently correct him, informing him of the different kind of baptism from Jesus to John the Baptist that Jesus left before he ascended to heaven, and they work him through the meaning of it. That's lovingly perfect admonishment. They listened and observed. They spoke the truth in love. They gave him wisdom he didn't have. They're later going to give him more encouragement. And get this, they're not going to hold him hostage. They're not going to hold him hostage by the mistake he made. They're going to wisely let the past be in the past and let it go. And they're going to be in his corner being his largest cheerleaders the rest of the way. What we often do is someone makes a mistake. Yes, we lovingly admonish them, but we continue to bring up the past and we continue to dwell on a mistake and we never get behind them and love them through it. That's the human way. That's not God's way. Like a wise passenger riding in the car were to point out someone's blind spot. The goal of admonishing someone is to disciple, not to discourage. It's to counsel not to condemn. Read that with me. This is big. The goal of admonishing someone Here's the third section. Final one. How? How do we receive admonishment? Well, Paulus, wow. Humble spirit, receptive heart. 
He was open to change, wanted to know the truth, didn't pout about it, but continued on. That won't always be the response we get when we offer someone words of counsel, but a lot of it depends on the way it's given to how it's going to be received. Apollos went on, the scriptures say, to preach vigorously, didn't lose his enthusiasm. He was the same messenger with a greater message. And Apollos went on to become a great leader. In fact, he's mentioned throughout 1 Corinthians in the same breath as Paul and Peter. Proverbs 26, 27.6 says this, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Like I said earlier, there are some who still get their jollies out of being judgmental and critical. Constructive criticism can be, criticism can be helpful. It can be good for us. But man, if there's that critical person who's always given criticism and providing judgment, any of you been there, like you're walking through a room, you're at a party or a meeting at work or wherever it is, or even in, in church, and you see that critical person coming towards you, what are you tempted to do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, often, most of the time I've been in large buildings with people, and I can see them coming, and I kind of choose the other hallway. <laughs> you know, it, you just kind of run from it, because it'll eat you up. In over 40 years of ministry, I've received a whole lot of criticism and a lot of admonishment. And I got to tell you, usually I try to, you got to find the truth in there because there's some truth in the midst of it. But oftentimes it's, it's tough. Sometimes if a critic, criticism, criticism from the same person, it's tough to answer back sometimes, to be honest. And so you consider the source I often do. And there's some saying, that's just not worth my time because it's going to keep on keeping on. One day, Abraham Lincoln's Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, came to him with a really harsh letter that he had written to a major general who accused him of favoritism. Stanton read the letter to Lincoln and it was full of sharp retorts and the president read the letter, he said, yeah, great letter, the general deserves this letter that you've written. Well, Stanton, Stanton was gratified, folded up the letter, put it in his pocket, and the president said, now what are you going to do with it? Stanton looked and said, I'm going to send it. I'm going to send it. Lincoln said, don't do it. Don't do it. He said, it's well-deserved, General needs that, but don't send it. Put it in the stove. He says, that's what I do when I've written a letter where I'm mad. It's a great letter. You probably had a great time writing it. You probably feel a whole lot better, but burn it. Now, we got to be careful in today's world. Because usually that wouldn't be a letter, it would be a what? Text or a... You ever hit a hit send on any of those and think, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. 
it's very wise to pass that by someone. I had a staff member this past week that I worked with who was really, really angry about something. And he came in and shared with me the text he was about to send. And I said, "Mm -mm. no, reword that, rewrite that, just take it on the chin and move on. What? Yeah. Take it from me, take it on the chin and move on. You're much better off. Sometimes it's hard to learn when to just let something deflect off of you as water does on the, on the back of a duck, but you have to. Solomon says in Proverbs 15:1, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. It's not always easy to know whether to defend or deflect, but you've got to decide that. And one of the best ways to do it is to seek admonishment from someone else. It's a whole lot easier to take criticism and admonishment from someone who encourages you 90% of the time and corrects you 10% of the time, right? Mary Annabelle, a couple weeks ago, Mary, she was up here. Where are you? There she is right here. A couple weeks ago, she said, hey, can I come in the office and, and talk to you? And whenever somebody does that and they don't tell you what it's about, Ken does that a lot to me. I want to talk to you, not tell me what it's about. But she said, I want to come in and talk to you. It was like a two-day warning. So for like two days, I thought, what in the world is wrong? What's, what's she want? But she came into my office and she sat down. And I'll be honest with you. She could have said anything. She had full openness from me to whatever criticism, whatever suggestion she had to give me. You know why? Because of her heart and because of the fact she has encouraged me probably 99.9% of the time. And that was the only time she came to sit down to suggest something. And we're following through with what she suggested. Whether God leads that way, we'll, we'll see. But we're following through. And I thanked her for that. It's so much easier for someone to receive your admonishment if you do it when it's filtered through encouragement and love and a history of that. Now here's a definition I finally landed on Admonishment is loving counsel and correction. And don't miss the word loving. Loving counsel and correction. About probably two years ago, I think, or two and a half years ago, I shared with you, I believe, when we were in the school building, of a time in my life, and I didn't go fully into it, and I still won't, right now but there was a time in my ministry and in my life where I received admonishment that I needed that I really didn't want to hear there's been many times but this is the biggest it was a time 
When I was the lead pastor in Greenford, Ohio, where I served for 20 years, and the church, by God's blessing and God's power, just really exploded all at once. And we were running an average about 1,500 people on worship on a Sunday morning. And I was doing everything. I was leading the church as if it were a church of 500 people. And I just got fried. Burnout fried. Why? It was because of a whole lot of, through over 25 years of ministry, a whole lot of hurts, a whole lot of criticism, a whole lot of carrying other people's baggage. And it started to result in a lot of physical pain that I had. My, my stomach would hurt right here. My legs were aching. And it got to the point I kept on going, but I could barely walk. And so my wife told me I needed to see a doctor. So many people in the church said, you need to, what's wrong with you? You need to get help. Finally, in my stubborn self, I gave in, went to the doctor, put me on an antidepressant, which I never had been on anything like that in my life. Following people, my wife's advice, I went to a counselor. First time I'd ever been to a counselor, and I sat down. It was in Canton. I sat down with him, and this guy just asked me all the questions that I knew he was going to ask me. And... There was a timer in there, the clock. And I'd see him talk to me and I'd see him go. <laughs> First time he looked at the clock, I was done. Because I knew I had one hour with him and that's all we really cared about. So I didn't go back to that. I went to the leaders of the church, two of them. And I said, listen, I, I, I got to do something. I got to step aside because this isn't working. And they looked at me and they said, take as long as you want. We'll be for, here for you when you get back. And so I stepped off of speaking. I was out of speaking for about two and a half months. During that time, I did everything I knew I could do to get out of that. Never lost my faith, mm -mm. but I lost my desire to be around people. And I didn't want to hear somebody telling me what I, they thought I needed to hear. <laughs> I knew all, I, yeah, I got it. One of the places I went to was my favorite place, the Outer Banks of North Carolina at Cape Hatteras. We drove, we had a four-wheel drive only reason I have four-wheel drive is so I can get on the beach in the summer and go where nobody else is. But this was at the end of January. Brenda was with me, and we drove out to a place called The Point. It's the very tip of Cape Hatteras. I left her in the truck with a heater running. I put on my hooded sweatshirt. And if you've ever been to the Outer Banks, the wind blows. And I sat in a chair out right at the point with the wind blasting, reading a book, staring at the ocean, helping the Holy Spirit would put me back in my spot. 
didn't happen. It didn't happen. I was there for three weeks. Somebody in the church had a house and let, me, let us go there free. Even had people in the community that he knew drop fresh fish off at our door to help us. But it didn't help. Got back home. I had an associate pastor that I worked with. And he said, I want to talk to you. So I went and I did talk to him. He says, I got a place and I've made arrangements for you to go there. It's in Colorado. It's a place called Blessing Ranch. You need to go there and talk to this guy. I listened to him because he had built up incredible respect for me. So I went. Went to Colorado, a place called Blessing Ranch, with a guy by the name of Dr. John Walker. I spent a week there all by myself. Brenda didn't go. Through his wise counsel and admonishment and through hours in the mountains in the snow by myself, journaling and reading God's word in a book called Sacred Romance and Daring to Dance with God. After that week, I was able to come back to Greenford, Ohio, and I was able to stand on this stage on a Sunday morning and say to all those people, it is well with my soul. Those are the exact words I first said. It is well with my soul. Yeah. They all stood and did the same thing because they were hurting for me just as I was hurting for myself. Well, you know, I wouldn't be standing here today if I didn't take the words of admonishment from my wife and from my associate pastor. God doesn't always remove the pain. That's still there. But he does redeem it. He does redeem it. And we don't heal in isolation. We heal in community even when we don't want it. That's why this One Another series is so important. Jesus left heaven and he came to earth on a rescue mission he came to rescue you because you needed rescuing he came to rescue me because i needed rescue he came to set us free that's what his grace is and once you give your life fully to jesus christ you're not going to be admonished for every mistake you've ever made isn't that cool no, he takes all those mistakes. He takes them. He doesn't dwell on the past. He doesn't dwell on the mistake. He swallows those. He absorbed those when he went to the cross and died in your place. And now all those mistakes are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have grace. You have forgiveness of all of those and that's what we do each and every Sunday morning when we take these elements. You can get those out. When we take the bread and we take the juice, we remember that Jesus died for us on a cross, taking all of our mistakes on his back, literally, and remembering that he was buried and he came back to life, and we will do the same. I'm going to pray and give you a moment to take communion.
Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for the way that you have admonished us. God, you admonish us through your word, through your teachings. God, we thank you so much for that. But God, we also want to praise you that when you see our mistakes and our shortcomings, you allow your Holy Spirit to grow in us, build us, heal us, and make us more like your son. God, we take this time right now as we take these emblems, this bread and this juice, to say thank you and to remember. In Jesus' name, amen.